Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In today's episode, we will continue looking at Ephesians chapter 6, and we're looking at this section from verses 5 through 9. In the previous episode, we introduced the topic and then just covered verse 5, and that really falls under the first point. The first point covers um, the four verses, 5, 6, 7, and 8, and we only got through just even the very first part of point one. So we're saying that the proposition that covers this whole section is this, that our performance in the world is for an audience of one. Our performance in this world is for an audience of one. And verses five to eight teach us that our duty before our superiors in this world teaches us to honor Christ. And so the first thing we looked at was that even in the worst circumstance, which is slavery, God expects us to do what is required of us. Now, as we continue the discussion in verse 6, we see that our position in Christ should eliminate obsequious sycophantism. Now, those are big words because I love using big words, but (laughs) what we're talking about is this fake uh, obedience that is done with a wrong attitude. It's really trying to suck up and, you know, for lack of a better term, I, I just like obsequious sycophantism. It really works. Uh, but you could call it any number of, um, more modern vernacular type of things, but we're, we're talking about, and here's how Paul words it in verse six. Well, here's the command, right? In verse five, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Here's verse six, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ doing right or doing the will of God from the heart. So we're looking for sincerity here and we're looking to try and eliminate false obedience or obedience under false pretenses just to try and gain an outcome. We, we really want genuine service for Christ. So this really takes on the idea of fawning, servile, fake compliments uh, to appeal to modern literature. I don't know how many of you are Lord of the Rings fans, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, but there is a character in the Lord of the Rings by the name of Grima. He's also known as Wormtongue. And this is really what he is. He is this fawning, servile, you know, just his words are poison. He is the epitome of some, you know, obsequious sycophant. He is the very definition of what we are not supposed to do here. So if we're supposed to eliminate that type of behavior, then we see, first of all, it's possible to obey in a way that is displeasing the Lord. So the very first thing that should jump out to us as we look at verse six is that it's actually possible to do the right thing in the worst circumstance and still dishonor God. We've said this a number of times, but often when there is a negative command or a negative imperative, it's showing that a lot of people, at least there's a category of people that do this 
a lot of times in the church, when there's a negative command to believers and Christians in the church, it's saying that this is something that Christians can be prone to do. So when he says not by way of eye service or as people pleasers, he's addressing that, that it is possible to just make it look like you're doing the right thing and then do it for all the wrong reasons. And that is not the right thing. Colossians chapter three, verse 22 says this, bond servants obey in everything. Those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service, but as people pleasers, uh, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So it is possible to disobey the Lord, even when you're doing the right thing. But that also makes us consider this, that our obedience must be tied to our position in Christ. Even in the worst possible job, with the worst possible boss, everything, and and we're at the very bottom of the totem pole with this particular, uh, this particular scenario here, your obedience has to be tied to your position in Christ. And we see this in the last part of the wor- of the verse, uh, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. And so as we dig into this, then we see, first of all, that all who are in Christ are in fact bondservants, slaves. He actually says, I want you to consider yourself as a slave to Christ. Now, the person who's going to be able to most relate to this is a slave of somebody else. But this language, it doesn't only come up here or in Colossians, but he dedicates a lot of, a lot of Pauline language is dedicated to this, that we are truly bond servants of Christ. And we don't think of that as a bad thing. We've already said that he tells us to take his yoke, our, his yoke upon us because his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And, and so we have to understand that. So he says, the way to do this is to consider yourself the way the scripture does in your position in Christ. And in Christ, you are actually his slave. You're not free. Uh, you, you really do belong to Christ. And to bring back the Romans discussion, remember that he says that you're going to be a servant to somebody. Even if you're not an actual slave in real life, you know, as far as your job is concerned, uh, everybody is a slave to something. You're either a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you're a slave to Christ who gives you life. So this term slave, bond servant has become taboo, but for the church, it's the one that we must not only understand, but also embrace anybody who's in Christ. If you're in Christ, I'm in Christ. I need to consider myself a bond slave of his. There's no shame in being a slave if you're a slave of Christ's. Uh, we don't have a choice. We do his bidding. He is our master. And so the bond servants of Christ that shows possession, that genitive there is likely a genitive of possession, which means that we are the property of Christ. And it makes it very clear here in the text. And not only Christ also uh, in his humility became a slave, right? We have to understand that. Philippians 2 verse 7 says, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, which is dulo or dulu, which is the same word here for bond slave. And that's what he did. He emptied himself to the lowest possible degree. So all who in Christ are, are in Christ are actually bond servants. But remember, 
we just looked at Matthew chapter 11, verse 30. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Being a slave of Christ is not a burdensome thing. The only alternative is that we're slaves to sin. And we said that Romans chapter six, verses 16 to 18, spell that out uh, very clearly. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who are once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, so now you're free, right? Yay! Here's how he ends it, verse 18 of Romans chapter 6. Having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. And so, like we said, there's no true freedom, true autonomy. You're going to be a slave of somebody, and we want you to choose to be the bond servant of Christ. Now, just consider this. Look at how Paul opens some of his letters. Here's how he starts off the letter to the Romans. Paul, a servant, or you could say slave, of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timothy, servants, slaves, bondservants of Christ Jesus. Titus 1 verse 1, Paul, a servant, a slave of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Galatians 1.10. This is a little bit after the introduction, but right there in those opening verses. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a, here it is, servant, a bondservant of Christ, a slave of Christ. So I can't implore you enough that you and I, as, as believers in the church, we must come to terms with the fact and accept that there is no such thing as freedom. We are, in fact, slaves. But thanks be to God, it's the best form of slavery ever. And when you were saved, when you turned to Christ and accepted the free gift of salvation, right? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God in Christ Jesus is eternal life. When you accepted that, you entered into a slave position under a new master. It wasn't just a gift that you got to accept and walk away from whistling a happy tune. Remember what he says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, you are not your own, for you were, here it is, bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you are a believer, Christ now owns you. He purchased you with his blood. You do his bidding, not yours. You live for him and not yourself. So again, our obedience has to be tied to our position in Christ. We are, if we're in Christ, we're already his bond servants. We've seen that. And then we also see this, that our obedience to Christ as our master flows from the heart. When we use this language flows from the heart, this is really an expression that belies our love for Christ. We embrace the easy yoke and the light burden because the alternative is infinitely worse. Furthermore, it isn't just a matter of weighing the burden and deciding that Christ is better. This also factors in what was accomplished at the cross through his obedience, the payment for sins that we rightly deserved, taking upon him the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to suffer. If we can truly come to grips with the, these implications, 
then obedience to him is a joy, which is exactly where Paul goes with this. Think about what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 2. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So that's verse 6. Now remember, we're just still talking about the first point, which is 5 through 8, that our duty before our superiors in this world teaches us to honor Christ. The first thing we saw under this is that our worst, even in the worst circumstance, slavery, God expects us to do what is required of us. That's verse 5. Verse 6, our position in Christ should eliminate this thing that we're calling obsequious sycophantism. And then in verse 7, we see that our obedience must be rendered with the right attitude before the right audience. Here's what verse 7 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So the first thing we see under this is obviously that we need to have a right attitude. We're supposed to render service, that is our obedience that we're doing in our earthly job in our earthly position, but we're doing it as under the Lord with a good will. Here's what late 19th century preacher uh, J.C. Ryle said, for a man to be truly happy, he must have sources of gladness that are not dependent on anything in this world. Think about that. My joy should not stem from my work alone, but it should be something that comes from above that no man can touch. And so that enables us to do our task with a right attitude, rendering it with a good will. And then we're supposed to do it before a right audience as to the Lord. And then he specifically says not to man. And that's very important because, again, it's not dependent on the character is not dependent on the idiosyncrasies and the quirks and the mannerisms of the person who's over you, your supervisor, your boss, whatever it is, you're doing this to the Lord. And you're, you have to think about it that way. Colossians chapter three, again, verse 23 and 24, he says this, whatever you do work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So that's verse 7, and then we'll just wrap it up here with verse 8. Our obedience will be rewarded. Verse 8. Our obedience will be rewarded, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. So the first thing we see under this in verse 8 is that our obedience carries a moral value. When we do what God has asked us to do, it is good. And we saw that uh, with the children, and we see that when the husband and wife are submitting to one another and honoring that relationship in those positions where the Lord has put them, there is a moral value to those things. And he says here, it's good. It's worth mentioning because living in a sinful and fallen world, we can sometimes ask about the definition of good. Uh, I know that sometimes when someone is asked how they're doing and I hear the answer, I'm good, I get a gut reaction all these years later after being a Christian and I still think in my head, no one does good, not even one, right? Romans chapter 3, verse 12, which is preceded by verses 10 uh, and 11 and the first part of verse 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. 
And we recognize that. But once we are saved and we do something as unto the Lord, it is now taken on a moral value that is good and God considers it good. Secondly, we see our obedience is before an imminent God. When we talk about the doctrine of God's imminence, we are talking about his nearness in the world and his participation in things. Uh, we don't speak of God as if he is far off and not interested in the day-to-day in this world. In fact, we know that the entire creation exists and is held together by him. Every breath that we take is his gift to us. And so we have to recognize that when we do it, it is before a God who is very much present with us. He is imminent in this world. And that's something that we have to come to grips with as a believer. God actually sees us in our work. He sees us in our homes. He sees us everywhere. There's no place where we can hide from him. Nothing is hidden in his sight. Um, Hebrews 4 verse 13, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed uh, to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or evil. And this is born out of the phrase, this he will receive back from the Lord. In other words, God is watching all of the things that I do, and he will reward me accordingly. And even the Christian will get rewarded. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bema, right? Okay, so a few years ago, uh, I was reading through a book on persecution and martyrdom of Christianity in other countries in the modern age. And I read about one country in the 1040 window that so heavily persecutes those who have become Christians that they literally have no way to move up in the world after conversion. They are often relegated to the lowest positions of society. Think street sweeper with a literal broom and not a truck, barely making enough to live off, barely making enough to get the food that they need to eat that day. And they are to do that job, be that street sweeper in that awful country that hates Christians. They are to do that job as unto the Lord. And God sees that and will reward them. Our eternal reward is so much better than anything we could ever, ever get back in this side of heaven. And then we see this, and and then we'll be done. Our obedience is required no matter our position. And this is really interesting. And now he takes it and he just broadens it all out. He said, whether he is a bondservant or is free, we're not just talking now about the lowest uh, job that could ever be had, a job where you don't even get paid a wage. We're saying, listen, it doesn't matter whether you're bond or free. So this actually goes back to the moral declaration of the work that we do and the heart behind the work that we do, it is possible to do good work as a slave, and it is possible to do good work as a master, and it is possible to do good work as a free person, right? It, no matter where you are, where you find yourself, uh, it's possible to do the right thing. And so we must purpose to do what the Lord deems is as good. And this then will serve as the perfect transition then to the master. But for that, we will uh, turn and leave that for our next episode. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website at gfbc.net.